Talking about Vupa, here we go. I wonder if they did that on the wagon trains. Vupa, Vupa. Good morning, Doctor History. Good morning. I bet they wish they had a four wheeler once in a while. I bet you those the people that walked all the way. I mean, get up in the morning and trudge along. Holy cow! Well, and their shoes weren't the best shoes to walk in either. Are you kidding? I mean, they didn't really have the best arch support, and probably most, I would assume, even went barefoot. Yeah, probably their feet got tough enough. They, yeah, I'll bet you they did. Yeah. The kids. And that's why when you go to Dr. History's place of chiropractory, he's standing there barefoot. <laughs> Well, not yet. <laughs> oh. Hey, by the way, uh, I don't know if I did last week or not, but I just want to reiterate my thank you to you for being such a dear friend, not only for this program, but also, of course, for the maple bars with the, uh, I was going to say onion, with the bacon on them. And I just want to leave you with a thought this morning on those maple bars. Don't okay. feel that you have to wait for the Cache County Fair before you do it again. <laughs> Well, I don't know where to get them other than, you know, the Declo booth over there. Try. Try. Well, I, you know, I guess I could. We'll, we'll put out some feelers. <laughs> what are we going to talk about this morning? Well, I've actually got two stories that are about buried treasure. Oh, look out. Here we go. Everybody's got a shovel. Yeah. I mean, these are, you know, this is something that we've talked about off and on before, and, uh, in thinking about buried treasure, there's been a lot of stuff buried throughout the country, a lot of stories, a lot of uh, myths and one thing or another, but the one thing to keep in mind is a lot of times it was never found or never let known that it was found. Because if you found buried treasure, <clears throat> then people like Wells Fargo and one thing or another would be after you to get their share. So I really think that there's been buried treasure that has been found but not disclosed. Oh, you mean to tell me <laughs> that there might I mean, be something illicit going on? There could be. I mean, because you know good and well, the bank and the government, you'd be left holding the bag, literally. The empty bag. The empty saddlebag. Yeah. So. Now, now, wait a minute. i got to ask you this, though. Of all the stories you've had on this program about buried treasure, some of which have been relatively close to where we live right here in Magic Valley, yeah. um, you think some has been dug up and possibly dispersed? Well, I've talked before about the one up at the City of Rock. Yep. yep. And that one is supposedly never been found. Now, in the early 70s, I want to say 71, 72, there was a set of saddlebags that were found with some gold in it, but that was not the same robbery. That was a different one. Now, what did they do with that? You know, I don't know any details about uh, what, who got it or where or whatever happened to it. Naturally, they just quickly ran and told the government to increase their tax structure so that they could pay more. <laughs> That's right. So they, again, they may have ended up holding the bag, <laughs> and that was it. Yeah. So, but supposedly there's other one, the famous one, has never been found, and now they don't allow metal detectors in there, so you can't even go search with metal detectors. Really? Yep. Okay. But anyway, this, I've got two stories I'm going to tell you. This one's called the Stage Station Treasure. Uh-oh. Now, this was in 1850, and the first regular mail service was established between Independence, Missouri, and Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. And there was a Dr. David Waldo. He was a medical doctor at Independence and kind of a trader, so to speak. And he got a uh, four-year contract to carry the mail once a month between two places. 
between these two places. So uh, he had two carriages uh, that traversed this. Uh, basically, it was the Santa Fe Trail. And one from Independence would start, and another one start from Santa Fe, and going towards each other, and each was guarded by eight men. Oh, boy. Now, each man was armed with a Colt rifle, a Colt revolver, and a hunting knife. And it was said that uh, if they were attacked, they could discharge about 136 shots without stopping to load. So uh, you'd say it was uh, maybe overkill, uh, literally. Oh boy, I love that terminology. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were, they were loaded for bears. Anybody should try to attack. And, and that reputation probably saved them somewhat. But uh, So they were ready for any kind of uh, attack, whether it be from Indians or robbers or whatever. So. And, and these were eight guys that rode on the same stagecoach? Well, I don't know if they rode on the stage. I would imagine they were probably horseback. Holy cow. And that doesn't say that, but I'm thinking they were, there might have been like a couple on the stage and the rest on, on horseback. Wasn't that expensive to do it that way? Well, consider this. They were the only two stages going back and forth. There were oh. only two of them. Holy cow. So, so they, uh, he had a contract, so he was probably probably pretty lucrative and to make sure it's safe you know uh, he could make some pretty good money mm -hmm. so, but he, he had the mail contract until about 1858 uh, when a guy named Jacob Hall uh, obtained this contract uh, but he was going to do it twice a month instead of just once a month I see so this firm uh, of Hall and Porter began running a monthly line of wagons between St. Louis and Santa Fe now, the route followed what was to become known as uh, the mountain route of the Santa Fe Trail. And originally, it was just kind of a mail route, but he soon added the passenger service. And, and now, get this, for $250 a person, he could travel the more than 700 miles between these two towns. So it was pretty expensive. And now, also, the company didn't use the really nice stagecoaches. They had what they referred to as the ambulance-type stagecoach and so uh, it wasn't the customary stagecoach so the passenger's comfort was not really very good i see so but anyway holland porter's business became so popular that uh the, this 700 mile trip to santa fe in a, they could do it in about 15 days 700 so, miles in a creaky stiff yeah. dusty dirty open air stagecoach yeah and bouncing around you know the roads weren't real smooth so. yeah but during the late 1860s, the stage line between Kansas City and Santa Fe was controlled also by a guy named Colonel Sanderson. Uh -huh. Now, um, one of the company's stage stations along the route was a place called Fort Aubrey. I don't know if you've ever heard of Fort Aubrey. I have not. Um, but it began as a, a camp called Camp Winecoop, and it was established in 1864 to watch for Confederate rebels and to check Indian movements. Uh, they had a company of soldiers... And in 1864, they changed it, the name to Fort Aubrey. No, wait a minute. It was for it was called Fort Wine Cooler. Wine Coop. <laughs> Camp Wine Coop. Oh, okay. To Fort Aubrey. Oh, I was going to say I'd heard of the other one. Okay, Fort Aubrey. Okay, you're with me, right? I'm following you right close. Okay. So it was staffed by some Missouri Volunteer Cavalry and two companies of Wisconsin Volunteer Infantrymen and. Any way, these troops were assigned the task of escorting the stage line wagons and the freighters and all these guys between Fort Dodge, uh, about 100 miles to the east, and to Fort Lyon in the Colorado Territory. So, mm -hmm. 
at this Fort Aubrey was not much of a fort. It was really more like dugouts. Uh, just it really wasn't a fort like we picture. Yeah. So, but in 1866, the volunteer troops were replaced by some regular army men, and so they had a bunch of guys there, some cavalry, some infantry, and one thing or another. But uh, in 1866, the government abandoned this fort, um, and the stage line from Kansas City to Santa Fe kept using this abandoned post as a stage station, mm-hmm. even though there was no uh, government help or military there at all. So... It was in 1867 that uh, a guy named Felix Goldman had the job of operating the stage uh, station for the company's weekly run. So he was at this station. And one day he talks about uh, that a tough-looking guy came walking into the stage station, and this man, who appeared really friendly, started asking a lot of questions, started uh, kind of scrutinizing Goldman and asking all these questions about the station, and, and this Goldman thought this was a little suspicious. Mm-hmm. So he sent a message to a supervisor, and he described the appearance and the actions of this guy. And he informed his supervisor that he had buried his own savings and the station's operating funds, which totaled about $17,000 in gold and silver. Now, he said he made certain no one saw where he buried it. That may have been a mistake. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, anyway, the weekly stage run arrived at the station a few days later. And they found uh, Goldman dead. He'd been murdered. Well, the stage at the stage ter- station turned up nothing. The law, uh, which probably included a U.S. Marshal, uh, they used Goldman's written description of this suspicious guy as they searched the area. And they arrested a guy by the name of Tolliver who fit the description. Mm-hmm. Well, Tolliver swore he hadn't killed Goldman, he hadn't taken any money, and they had nothing to go on, so they had to let him go. So, from all accounts, the buried treasure was never found. It raises the possibility that the treasure remains buried somewhere in the vicinity of this old stage station and halfway between a place called Medway and Syracuse on U.S. Highway 50 in Hamilton County, Kansas. Mm-mm. I don't know if you're familiar with that area. I've been through there, but uh, I'm going to go back. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, it's right near the Colorado border. Yep. and. There's hardly anything left of the old fort and the old stage station, but uh, supposedly, you know, this guy couldn't have gone very far to bury this $17,000 in gold and silver. Wow. And you don't know if it's still there or not? That's the big question. And like I mentioned, you know, uh, people sometimes find a treasure and they don't tell anybody. Yeah, that's a bad thing. Yeah, but I, the thing that I wonder about is, you know, what do you do with something that old? I mean, if you try to sell it or something, you know, it's, uh, some people are going to wonder where you got it. Well, you know, the thing is, with the banks not paying any interest on your money nowadays, I can see a whole bunch of people going out in their backyards right now. <laughs> That's right. That may be the safest and best place. Yeah, but just don't tell your wife where you buried it. <laughs> Or bury two places and one not as much as the anyway. You know, I just put one in there with an empty can with a note in it that says, "Ha! You thought you had it." Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got another story. Okay. This is the called the lost treasure of the Missouri traders. Oh my! So here we go. It's 1832. It's December, so it's cold. Uh, there was a party of 12 traders that left Santa Fe for their Missouri homes. Mm-hmm. Now, the traders rode horses, and they had a mule pack train carrying supplies, and 
between ten and twelve thousand dollars in gold and silver, uh, which were profits from their trading ventures. There was a guy named Judge Carr that reportedly was the leader of this party, and as they moved east. Uh, Others in the party, uh, names a few guys here, but I'm, it doesn't really matter. There was there was ten or twelve of these guys. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they were dressed warm because it was winter, you know. And uh, anyway, the nights were cold. Uh, the journey was pretty much uneventful as they moved into what is now the Texas Panhandle, okay. uh, following the Canadian River. Now, again, I'm not sure if you've been in that territory either. Yeah, I have been. As a matter of fact, I've done some rodeos down in that area. Okay. But the Canadian River, I guess, is the largest tributary of the Arkansas River uh, down in that area, but uh, near, I guess, Raton, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. they traveled about 200 miles, and no problems from Santa Fe. And on January 1st, 1833, about 200 Indians, either Kiowa or Comanche or both, started harassing these traders. Uh Uh-oh. They approached them in small groups at first, uh, one side and then the other, and not trusting the Indians, the, the traders uh, kind of hurriedly moved their horses and mules into a circle near a few trees along the river's edge. Mm-hmm. And they quickly dug a long, deep trench in the sandy soil for protection. Well, suddenly the Indians began firing their weapons at the traders, and they returned fire. And within minutes, a couple of traders were killed. Uh, one man was hit when he uh, was trying to catch two mules that broke loose. Another man... Uh, was shot and killed. Another trader was hit and wounded. Uh, anyway, from the protection of their trench, these Missourians fought off the Indians until dark. Mm-hmm. Well, when their attackers stopped fighting they and withdrew a short distance, they uh, uh, had a little reprieve. But um, by then, all the traders' horses and mules were dead or wounded. And the animals' bodies actually provided some protection for the traders because they would, uh, you know, just not like you'd see in some of the old movies, they were shooting over their dead horses and mules but the Missourians rested as best they could trying to keep warm and discussed what they should do well no horses no mules they knew they couldn't carry all of their heavy gold and silver so each man took what gold and silver he could carry on his person and the rest was buried in that sandy soil and carefully covered up so as not to be noticed well about midnight they decided to escape and under cover of darkness they quietly left their camp but they didn't get far the Indians spotted them trying to escape and drove them back to their what you, I guess you'd call it their camp. Well, the traders rested and waited till morning, knowing that the Indians would again attack. And, and they, as uh, the sun came up the next morning, they fired off and on until late afternoon. And by then, the traders' ammunition was almost gone, and they feared the worst. And, but all of a sudden, the Indians stopped fighting. And uh, for some reason, the Indians yelled in Spanish that the traders could go. And the Indians basically left. Now, the traders were surprised that as they watched the Indians leave the area and disappear over the horizon, and they thought, well, maybe this is a trick. And so they waited in camp for a while and kept waiting for another attack, but nothing came. And so the next morning at dawn, there was no Indians to be seen, and and they think that probably the Indians uh, took off either because it was too cold or the fact that they'd already killed all the horses and the mules, and really that's what the Indians wanted was the horses and the mules. What did they kill them for then? Well, I guess they were just shooting at the uh, the traders, and the horses got in the way. Well, boy, they're really good shots. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the, the the reason they attacked was they didn't know that they had gold and silver, and they wouldn't have known what to do with it anyway. Yeah. So, hey, i got to ask you a question. Go ahead. Go ahead and finish. i got a question for you in just a minute. Go ahead. Okay. 
Well, regardless of what happened, why, the traders set out, and they just they didn't have any animals now, so they just carried what gold and silver they could put in their pockets, yeah. and they left the cache of uh, gold and silver where they buried it. So, But anyway, for, for what reasons we don't really know, the traders divided into two groups. Now, one group of five started east following the Canadian River in hopes of reaching a place called uh, the Creek Indian Settlement. Mm-hmm. And the other five men took the direct route uh, following the Santa Fe Trail. Mm-hmm. Now, those taking the direct direct route, route, they reached Missouri safely. And the guys that followed the Canadian River, it took them 42 days to reach this Creek Indian Settlement uh, in what's now Oklahoma. Wow. But only three of the mine, uh, five guys made it. The other two died and uh, couldn't keep up or died from starvation or cold. And they didn't have any ammunition, so they couldn't shoot any game but so the question is how much gold and silver the traders left buried along the canadian river we don't know uh one report suggests that some mexican traders may have found the gold and silver because later they were seen uh freely spending money uh but most accounts however suggest that the gold and silver was never found and unfortunately for modern hunters treasure hunters the details are so vague as to where the traders buried the, the gold and silver that you know, most speculate that the site is somewhere along the Canadian River, north or northwest of Amarillo, Texas. Now, that's that's a pretty broad description of where it could be buried. Okay, now I'm going to ask you a couple questions here because you really piqued my interest on this last story. Number one, what was the saga of these uh, of these gentlemen? What was that called? Did they have a name for that Indian fight? No, not really. Okay, because are you familiar with a Western authorist and uh, novel writer by the name of Terry C. Johnston? Are you familiar with his writings? I'm not. All right. He had written a book, and as I'm sitting here, I'm scanning my bookshelves. Now, you have never been in my studio, and I got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. I got about 12 or 13 different bookshelves, about 5, 6 feet high in this office. There was a book that was written by Terry C. Johnston in regards to a battle just like what you're referring to and I'm going to find that it was a fictional account of this battle I'm going to find it, give it to you and then you read it and see if it doesn't coincide with what you were saying okay, now this was in 1832 yeah, yeah January 1st, 1833 was when when the the battle started yeah i've got that book somewhere here uh, i've got to categorize my books i mean i've got books all over the place and i love western history and western fiction which many times are written from history into fiction if you know what i'm saying right and uh, i've got that book here about that battle so when you were telling about that story uh the author terry c johnston really highlighted exactly what you were just saying yeah you know, the thing I found interesting as I've done study for these uh, shows is the overlapping of stories. Uh, for example, uh, I read this, just finished a story about a, a man uh, that was at 11 years old uh, captured by the Apache. Yes. And uh, his name was Herman Lehman. Mm-hmm. And he returned to the white people at about age 25. But he talks about meeting up with Quanta Parker, yep. uh, Cynthia Parker's son. And it's just interesting to see the overlapping or what to me establishes a little better some of the stories that I've read. 
Well, what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll get you those books. I want to get you that other book that I talked about. It's laying right here. As a matter of fact, I'm pointing to it on my table, uh, the book on Billy the Kid. And i got to oh, get that yeah. to you. But uh, every time you're on the air, you just absolutely peak my mind to a, l <laughs> a level of energy where I just can't wait to w hear next week. Well, maybe we need to go to Amarillo and just take out our, our metal detectors and head out. I've Why? been to Amarillo many, many times. And uh, if you like being around that area where they got a whole bunch of big rattlesnakes, that's fine. Oh. You know, that just uh, took my interest right away. I was talking to a friend of mine down there just not too many days ago. And he is uh, a businessman and a rancher in that area. And he went out with his grandson to feed the horses one morning not too many days ago. And uh, he went over to the little stall where they keep all the feed and everything. And he was getting the grain. And his grandson came running in and tripped over something in the middle of the barn and it was a rattlesnake probably as big or bigger than my forearm <laughs> like I say snakes and me don't get along so not hardly no, so I'm afraid you'd be on your own there. All right. Well, listen, Dr. History, I'm going to find that book. I owe you big time for all these wonderful stories that I have uh, possibly books to back up your accounts, and I, I'm going to find those and give them to you so you can read about I, those. I'd be curious to see if, if your book has more detail about this story. I'll, I'll look on. It's going to take me a lot of uh, search and seizure here to find it on my bookshelves, and, oh, when you're in this office, you can get lost in here. So, <laughs> anyway. Like fun place to go. Oh, it, it, that depends. Don't ask my wife. <laughs> anyway, God bless you for a wonderful story this week. I appreciate it. All right. Hey, you have a good day, Zeb. All right, and don't forget, maple bars with bacon. I'll be looking. <laughs> see you later. Thanks. <laughs> we'll see you. All right. Oh, man, that was interesting. I really enjoyed Dr. History.